Well, I'm speaking this morning on a topic that is the one consistent thing in your life. That is change. Change is inevitable. It's a consistent part of this life. And, you know, as I've been working through this all week, I hear Bob Dylan in my head saying the times are a change in. I hear David Bowie saying ch-ch-ch-changes. And we, we sing about this a lot. It's just, it's our common experience. And there are a number of periods of life where change tends to be very rapid. And one of those periods is the change from adolescence to adulthood. It's a time where there's just a lot of change. And you're changing internally. Um, you're changing in the way that you interact with the world and your academics and school and whatever. Um, many of you know that Heather and I dated from high school on, and we ended up at the same college as well. And I was in the engineering program, and I didn't even know... I didn't realize this until just last night when I asked her for specifics. I didn't actually know what her major was the entire time we were in college. <laughs> and for me, you know, if you go down the engineering route, you really are, you're in a different building. All your classes are with the same group of people, and it's real clear what you do. But at, a, at the University of Pittsburgh, which is a big school, there are tons of different, you know, courses of study. Well, Heather started out uh, declaring social work as her major. And I know those of you that are students, there's so much pressure on you to figure out what you want to do when you grow up and what's your major going to be. And there's all this money thrown into college and you don't even know what you're going to do. So Heather's first impression was social work and she, she picked that, but then pretty quickly changed to biology and then quickly changed to psychology and then a fourth time changed to journalism. But then four years went by and she went to the um, guidance office and said, I want to get out of here. How can I do that? <laughs> And they looked at her transcripts and said, well, actually, English writing. You can get a degree in English writing. So that's what she graduated with in her bachelor's. Um, and if you looked in her yearbook, her high school yearbook, you know, they sometimes will put something in there about future pursuits or most likely to do something or whatever. And under, it said, Heather Davidson, social work. Ironically, I'm up here making fun of her changes, but you know what she does today? She's a licensed clinical social worker. And... <laughs> And I don't know what was next to my name in the yearbook. I didn't go back and look it up, but I promise you it was not priest. <laughs> so in her case, sometimes your first impression is actually the right one. I wish she had just stuck with social work all the way through, but there's a lot of learning that happens. Change can be good for that, but it's, it can also be unnerving, especially as you're paying money for all these classes. You know, um, people come out of college and they don't know what they want to be yet. So then they go to grad school, and then they don't know what they want to be yet, so they start into the workforce, and then sometimes that changes. I went online, and I looked up the, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Do you know how many times now, as of 2016, what the average number of major job changes is in a person's life? Six, somebody's guessing. Somebody said four in the last service. It's 11.7. Do you know what the average tenure is in a, a job right now? It's 4.2 years. The days of being a company man or woman and working 40 years and getting a gold watch on your retirement, those are gone. Nobody does that anymore. The markets have changed. The way business works has changed, uh, both from management side as well as the employee side. That's just one area of life. Change is happening in lots of different ways. And sometimes we initiate the change. Are you the kind of person who changes your mind a lot? What's it like when the waiter or waitress comes to you and you give your order? Have you, go, have you called them back from the kitchen? Wait, 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 I don't want that. I, I want to go with the fish instead of the chicken or whatever. Are you that kind of person? Are you somebody who's um, steadfast in your decisions? 
I'm impressed with my sister-in-law. In In fourth grade, she knew she wanted to be a medical doctor and never varied. And to this day, she's a medical doctor. I'm impressed with people like that. But even those people make changes along the way. So whether you're somebody who's prone to change or reluctant, you do change things. Sometimes you change your plans. You definitely change your clothes every day. But sometimes change happens to you. The weather changes. The, um, The markets change. Your health changes. Now, you can have some say in that, but ultimately you can't. I mean, change is coming to all of us, and it seems constant. And the good news is change can bring new and exciting things. It can be fun to make a certain change, get out of a rut, try something new, start over, New Year's resolutions, those kind of things. The downside, though, especially in a world that is constantly in flux with change, is that it can have a destabilizing effect. It can cause us to feel insecure. Now, here's a good news word from our text today, from Numbers. The word says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. I want to invite you to turn to the scriptures with me, and let's take a look at God as a stabilizing force in our lives. Go to page 132 in a pew Bible. I've gone to an obscure passage this morning to teach on God and his... um, immutability. That's the seminary word for God doesn't change. He is immutable. He does not change. God does not change in his person. God does not change in his purpose. And I'm in numbers here, numbers 20, what is it, numbers 23. I only picked up a little section. Um, This is the second of three distinct oracles that an Old Testament, sort of like a fortune teller guy named I'm not going to call him a prophet. I'll call him a fortune teller or a soothsayer or a seer, seer, someone who sees things. Um, He gave. And I don't want to call him a prophet because he really wasn't surrendered to God. And he's spoken ill of in the New Testament in two places, in 2 Peter Peter 2.15 and Revelation 2.14. Balaam is referred to basically as a scoundrel. Don't follow his example. He is not a good seer. But let me give you the backstory so you can understand where this passage came from. For those of you that have studied the casket empty acronym, which is a way to tell God's meta narrative with an acronym that walks you through the successive phases of God's interaction with people, C in casket, casket empty is for creation, A is for Abraham, the patriarch, S is for Mount Sinai where the law was given to Moses, and K is the season of kings once they're in the land. This, this comes from right between Mount Sinai and Kings. So Moses is still leading the people. They've spent 40 years wandering in the desert, just going in circles, and now they're about to head up. God is saying, now it's time to enter the promised land. And they're going to go up the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and then they're going to cross the Jordan River into Jericho, and that will be the first major battle into the promised land. But they have a problem. Moab, the, the town, the, the country of Moab is right there to the east of the Dead Sea, and they've got to go through that. And they've been working their way up, and they're terrifying the king of Moab. In fact, when he sees that they're coming up, he says this to the, uh, the elders of Midian, which was another town nearby, the Midianites and the Moabites. Moab says this, this horde, he calls the Israelites a horde. I'm back, I, I jump back to Numbers 22, 4. This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. They're just going to come in and wipe us out, which actually was an accurate assessment of what was about to happen. So what does the king do? Well, he goes and he finds this seer, this guy Balaam, 
I know it's confusing. You got Balaam and Balak. It's like Lord of the Rings. You got Saruman and Sauron. Who's who? It's really confusing. Balaam is the seer. Balak is the king of Moab. Balak in fear sends to get Balaam. The reason he goes to Balaam is because he's got a really good track record of pronouncing blessings on one group and then they win, curses on another group and then they lose. In football season, this is the guy you want at the bookie. He's making good calls so far and he's gotten famous for it. Where he gets his accuracy from, we don't really know. The scriptures don't say. As far as I know, it's from demonic influences. But Balak goes for Balaam, sends people to him. And as they come, they promise to pay him a lot and give him status. Um, And as soon as they come to him, the Lord, the real God, the Lord Almighty says, don't go with them. And so he says, no. Well, they go home and they tell Balak this and he sends more people, more money, more promises. The second time, this scoundrel, like a child that didn't get the answer he wanted the first time, goes back to the parent and says, but please, can I go with them? And God is irritated with him. And he finally says, go. Now, I'm, I'm reading here emotions into the text that's not here, but it, it, the second time, it says, he, the Lord says, you can go with them. But then immediately it says God's anger was against Balaam. He was not happy with this. And so what happens is he gets on his donkey and he starts going. Now, this is one of the coolest, you, you wouldn't think in a book called Numbers there'd be a cool story like this, but it's in there. He gets on his donkey and starts going, and three times on the way, the donkey pulls off the road and suddenly stops, or just sits down in the path, and Balaam is irritated, so he beats his donkey. And then the third time, check this out, God speaks through the donkey, and the donkey says, hey, have I not been your donkey since I was little? Have I ever done anything like this to you? Why are you hitting me? And then he, he speaks to his donkey. He goes, well, no, I guess not. And at that point, it says, you know, it's kind of ironic, right? This so-called seer can't see, but his donkey can. And he wants to speak, but he's not allowed. But then the donkey does speak. There's irony in this. Right then, God opens his eyes and he sees in front of the donkey an angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. And the angel says, if not for your donkey, you'd be dead. I was about to strike you down for your disobedience and let your donkey live. Then he says, what should I do? Should I keep going? Is it evil to keep going? Balaam still wants to go. He wants to go and give the word. He wants to get the fame and get paid. And the angel says, go ahead, but only say what the Lord tells you. So he gets there and he gives his first oracle after offering bulls and sacrifices and the whole thing. He gives his first oracle and it's absolutely a blessing on Israel and it does not curse them in any way. And Balak is mad about this. So he takes him to a different place and tries it again. And he says, that's not what I asked for. I want you to curse them so that we can win. The second oracle is where we pick up today. The second time he opens his mouth to speak is in chapter 23 and picking up in in verse 19. He stands up and he says, rise, King Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. Balak's son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Right away, he's dealing with this truth. We are fickle beings. We lie, we deceive, we speak out of both sides of our mouths, we change our minds. We don't, we don't have omniscience, so we don't know what the future holds and we have to adjust, we have to make changes. We're not all powerful. God is. So he's perfect, which means he sees everything. He, he always does the right thing. He never changes in his person or his purposes. So he goes down and he says, behold, I received a command to bless He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. 
He's referring to something from Genesis 12. When God calls a people back in casket empty, the Abraham part, when he calls Abraham to him, he pronounces in Genesis 12 a blessing. He says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. I'm going to bless them. Anyone who's against you, I'm going to curse. And he says, the last part of that blessing is this. He says, and through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. All nations. And what he's doing is he's setting up right there the fact that Jesus is going to come as a descendant of Abraham. He's going to be of the tribe of Benjamin, also called the, the Lion of Judah. He's going to come down through the offspring and be the perfect eternal king. All the way back in Genesis, God was setting this up. You know why? Because his purpose never changes. He purposed from eternity to do what he's going to do. God always does what he says he's going to do. And back in Genesis, it said it, and here's Balaam trying to pronounce a curse, but he's not allowed. How can I curse what God has blessed? It's not going to work. And so he pronounces a blessing. He says this to them and encourages them, but Balak is upset about it. Now, God also is consistent in his character. You know, discipleship, you know the word disciple, it means learner. Methedes is the Greek word. It literally means a learner. And Romans 12 says that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. My hope for you and for me is that in the future, one, two, ten years from now, we will not be the same person that we are today because we'll become more and more like God. That's not true of God. He's not going to become more and more anything or less and less anything. He is the same yesterday, today, and into the future for all eternity. So what is he like? Well, Glad you asked. Exodus tells us. One time, Moses said, I want to know you more. Show me your glory. You know what God does? He puts him in the cleft of a rock, and he lets his glory pass by. But, but he covers him so that Moses can only see the backside of God's glory because it's too glorious. He, would, he, couldn't, he couldn't handle the front, so he gets to see a backside. And as he passes, this is what it says. In ex, this is Exodus 34, 6. And think about this. God never changes. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's what God declares of his personality, of his character, of his being. God's person. He is inclined towards mercy and compassion. He does get angry, but he's slow to anger and instead is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He does forgive iniquity and sin. And the way that he does it is the cross. Now, those that reject his way of forgiving, he's going to hold them accountable to that. They're still in their sin. But those who are in Christ are forgiven. That's God's eternal plan. It doesn't change, it never will. God doesn't change in his person or his purposes. Now, what that does for us in a world of constant change is it stabilizes us. It makes us secure. You know, when we had little children, when our, we have Hannah and then her sister Ellie is like 13 months um, younger than her. When Hannah was born, she was four weeks old and we moved to Houston. While we were down there, we moved houses a couple of times. When she was three and a half years old, we moved to Pennsylvania for seminary. We were there for two and a half years. Then we moved down here and put her in a new, yet another school. So starting into kindergarten and first grade, Heather and I were wondering, is all this change going to do damage to our kids? It's not stable. I know many of you are military families. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Constant change can destabilize. But then we came to this conclusion. The house doesn't matter 
and the geographic area doesn't matter. The home is what matters. They know our family, and they know that they are loved. And those things have been consistent all the way through. The same is true spiritually for all of us. Regardless of what change might come in your life, God is your home. He is compassionate. He loves you. He's with you. He's consistent. And so regardless of what change comes, you can be secure in that. It really does stabilize your life. And it's interesting when you see people who were walking with the Lord go through something really bad and they seem to be grounded. Those of us that know the Lord know exactly how that's happening. In this passage, it goes on and it talks about the Lord, their God, in verse 21, is with them and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them up out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. Remember King Balak was afraid that they would come in like an ox and just eat up all the grass? Here's Balaam saying, actually, God is with them. He's shouting like a victorious king and he's the strong horns on that ox that's gonna eat your grass. God is gonna fulfill his purpose. That's who he is. He's that stabilizing force in your life. He's consistent. He loves you. He's gonna walk with you. He's gonna walk ahead of you. He's gonna bless you. And he's never gonna change. J.I. Packer, who wrote the book, a number of great books, he's an Anglican scholar, he wrote a book called Knowing God. It, it sold like millions of copies, to his surprise, on the attributes of God. He uses the word still, and he says, God is still the same. He still blesses those he loves in a way that humbles them so they return glory to God. He still hates sin and uses inward conviction and outward pain to wean us from things that are sinful and harmful. He still seeks fellowship with his people, sending sorrows and joys to detach their lives from things that they love that are not right so they can be attached to him as their first and greatest love. He still teaches believers to value his promised gifts by making them wait and pray before bestowing those blessings. God still deals with us like he did with them. That doesn't change. It will never change. And what it does for us as a way of uh, application here is, one, it, expect God to deal with you like he dealt with these people in the Old Testament. It's no different. Yes, he might not speak to you through a donkey. That's a little bit unique. And, but it's not impossible. But God speaks to all the people in the scriptures. He's constantly speaking. He's involved in our lives. Don't expect less because you're not in Bible days. Expect the same because you actually are. Nothing has changed. God doesn't change. He's still interacting with his people. Expect that. Now, it's a little unnerving because he's, he's, he's got opinions about your life and he will share them with you. But he's good and his purposes are good and he's leading you in the right path. So expect him to deal with you. Second, take comfort in the security of his promises. Balaam goes on to give a third formal oracle and then he adds a fourth one. It's not numbered as a fourth one, but it just says his final oracle in, verse, in chapter 24. In verse 17, it says, a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is poetic verse here. So Jacob and Israel are the same. Jacob was one of the, the patriarchs. He's renamed by God Israel. And then the 12 tribes of Israel are his descendants. So Jacob and Israel, same, same thing out of his offspring, a scepter will rise, a ruling rod in the hand of a king. And it says, and, and in verse 19, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. The king of kings is going to rise up out of this people 
King Balak. You're asking me to bless or to curse them so you can get by? God has a purpose and he's going to fulfill, fulfill it. And we on this side of the cross know exactly how he did it. He did it by sending his son, the one who did, who is the, of the tribe of Benjamin, the lion of Judah, one who came down through that promise. God is consistent in his purposes. God is consistent in his person. So in a world that is constantly changing, God doesn't. And let's expect him to interact with us in the same way. And let's be secure in that, regardless of what changes might come. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you better, that we might expect you to move in our lives. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your compassion and your love for us. Lord, make us a secure people in this world that is so unpredictable. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.